Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and this week, we're just going to jump right into part two of the disappearance of Kelsey Schelling. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Last week, we left off at the wrongful death suit that Kelsey's family filed against Dante, his mother, his grandmother, and another family member. But we also went over the civil suit against the detective, a sergeant, and the chief of the Pueblo Police Department. Kelsey's family had been rallying for their missing daughter and missing sister for two years when they finally filed those suits in 2015, and they were exhausted. They were tired of feeling like they were the only ones searching. They were tired of the lack of communication from police. And if they had to file their own lawsuits to get justice for Kelsey, they had no problem doing it. Now, lawsuits take time and they knew that. So after officially filing them, they didn't skip a beat and went straight back to work. Less than a week later, they organized a justice march from the Pueblo Police Department down to the DA's office. Their message was being heard so far and so wide that at this point, other family members of other victims of crime joined in with them. A vigil and balloon release was scheduled on Kelsey's birthday, February 18th of 2015. They planned to hold it at the Walmart that Dante parked her car at so that no one in that city could forget what happened to Kelsey no matter how much time passed. Unfortunately, a snowstorm decided to come through, so it had to be rescheduled, but in March, her birthday vigil was held and the balloons were released to heaven where her family believes in their hearts that Kelsey and baby Kadri are resting. Kadri is the name Kelsey had picked out if she ever had a daughter. In all legal senses, Kelsey's case was still a missing persons investigation, but her family was well aware that something much more sinister had happened. In April, another search was held, and again, they kept the search area on the down low. They take volunteers to the search areas after they meet up at a public location. The rest of the year went by with peaceful protests outside of the Pueblo Police Department, but no headway was made in her case at all. The three-year anniversary of Kelsey's disappearance rounds its head on February 4th of 2016, and the Colorado Independent reports that the state senators have heard Kelsey's family's pleas. They declared every February 4th in Colorado, from here on out, Missing Persons Day. Her family releases balloons at the state capitol in her honor and again, Families of victims from all over the state come alongside them in solidarity. Not only had Kelsey's family created an army of advocates for Kelsey, but they'd also created a community of support for other victims' families as well. February seemed like a huge month and a massive win with the Declaration of Missing Persons Day, but Kelsey was still missing. Just two weeks later, after feeling like someone in power finally cared a judge dropped the civil suit they had filed against the Pueblo Police Department. The judge's ruling was a massive blow to Kelsey's case as a whole because it seemed like it was the only thing that Kelsey's family had that was keeping it alive within the legal system. 
I can't even begin to fathom how in the Franklin Mint that case was dropped like a hot potato, but it was, and her family was left literally no closer to getting justice for Kelsey than the day she was reported missing. I couldn't find a single report of Pueblo Police Department doing any searches since the one they did in West Pueblo back in July of 2014. In April of 2016, KKTV reports that Kelsey's family has continued with their searches and they're looking in areas that they don't think the police have searched or will search, which seemed to be alluding to the fact that there was still no communication going on between the department and Kelsey's family. In May, 2020 comes through and does a full-blown episode on Kelsey's case. The 2020 episode took Kelsey's case from a Colorado case to a national case, and the pressure on the police department was wide and loud. And it looks like it lit another fire under some asses, because just three days after it aired, the police released some CCTV footage. Now, you might think this CCTV footage would be from, you know, the hospital her car was found at, but no. It was footage of a man riding around town in a van, tearing down Kelsey's missing person signs around the area. They wanted the public's help identifying who this man was. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened, but hell, if the police are even doing the smallest thing when it comes to Kelsey, it's a win. Literally nothing seems to come of this. If it does, nothing was released to the media as far as I can tell, but whatever. Pueblo police acknowledged Kelsey's disappearance. In December of 2016, Kelsey's family goes on Nightline with a psychic investigator because, frankly, nothing can hurt at this point, and the more people who know about Kelsey's case, the better. Westward reports that they'd done a couple of searches together, but that it hadn't resulted in anything. The four-year anniversary of Kelsey's disappearance rears its ugly head in 2017. Kelsey's family and other families of crime victims meet at the Capitol for the second annual Missing Persons Day, and her family tries something new. They announce that for the month of February, the reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the suspect or suspects involved in Kelsey's disappearance is doubling. If the tip that breaks the case comes in in the month of February, the reward will be $100,000, not $50,000. But the entire month ticks by and there are no breaks in her case. Her family was really hoping that $100,000 would be enough incentive to come forward with information that someone has been holding on to for four years now, and the fact that it wasn't was devastating. But they'd only have to wait another two months for something big to happen. On April 14th of 2017, out of fucking nowhere, Westward reports that the Pueblo police are currently excavating the backyard of Dante's grandmother's old house. The house that she lived at when Dante told Kelsey to meet him at the street right by it the night she went missing. KKTV rushed to the scene and got some photos of an insane amount of officers in the backyard with shovels, wheelbarrows, sifters, you name it. I think I honestly counted like 17 officers, and that was just the ones you could see in the photo. And mind you, this backyard is not big. 
The excavation goes on for two days and includes literally digging up a tree, according to the Pueblo chieftain. Everyone was wondering what finally led them to search this backyard after four years, and it's said that it was because of new leads. I mean, I'd love to know why old leads didn't, but whatever, we're here now and shit is finally getting done. Fox 21 decided to track down Dante, who seems to still be living with his mommy, and said that he had no comment. His mom, Miss I Pick My Son Up When He Ditches Missing Girls Cars, asked the station for privacy. Frankly, I'm guessing they didn't have a ton of time to answer questions between running back and forth to the bathroom during oh shit season. Three days after the excavation, KOAA reports that while no remains were found, police said that they did find several items of potential evidentiary value, which I'm sure shocks no one at this point. The only thing shocking was the fact that they finally looked where all the evidence was pointing, and for that, Kelsey's mom was grateful. She was there for the excavation and posted a heartfelt message on Facebook. It reads, The past two days have been grueling and emotional, ending with the outcome we did not hope for. Kelsey is still missing. There is no way for me to convey to you all the pain that I feel right now. Sincere heartfelt thanks goes out to the members of the Pueblo PD, CBI, and Parks and Rec who worked so hard on this search for Kelsey. This was a physically demanding excavation for them, and we witnessed how hard they worked. Despite all the issues we've had in the past, the new leadership over Kelsey's case from the PPD and active involvement from CBI is giving us hope that an effective investigation is finally taking place. More than anything else, we just want Kelsey and Kadri home with us. We will have no peace until the day that comes. Your continued love, support, and encouragement helps keep our family going, and we thank you for that. This time, instead of months or years passing for another break in Kelsey's case, it comes just two weeks later. On May 1st, Fox 21 reports that police are doing another search and excavation. It's in a field that literally backs up to Dante's grandmother's old neighborhood, where they're digging is just a half a mile away from the last excavation site. Bloodhounds were brought in and authorities searched roughly 400 yards of the field, including a small tree line and even digging up an old creek bed. Everyone was holding their breaths, but in the end, nothing is mentioned of anything being found. As the investigation is finally heating up, Dante's mom decides that now is the time to start speaking out. She tells KDRO that she'd been harassed relentlessly for the last four years and that she's done nothing wrong. But if we want to talk about harassment, we should probably talk about the harassment that Dante's mother has allegedly been dishing out. A former journalist out of Colorado made a Facebook post saying that Dante's mom followed her into a restaurant and started taking pictures of her while she was eating. While she was there, she says that Dante's mom started yelling at her saying, I know who you are, and then proceeded to text this journalist a photo of herself eating with the caption, enjoy being harassed. 
This is a whole lot of effort for someone who hasn't participated in a single search for her son's missing girlfriend and unborn grandchild. But let's keep going. She continued talking to KDRO and says, Let the wheels of justice take care of their self. I pray for that young lady and I had nothing to do with her disappearance. You know what? She's right. Let's see where the wheels of justice take this. Two months after the second excavation, I shit you not, Dante's grandmother's old house catches on fire. And oh no, it didn't catch on fire from the inside. It caught on fire from the outside. And not at any normal time of day where you'd think someone might be doing some shit with fire. It happened just before 6.30 in the morning. Thankfully, it was caught pretty quickly and didn't do much damage, but just go ahead and put that on the list of shady shit. On July 2nd, somehow, this brilliant and amazing woman got on Dante's mom's last nerve with her attempts to get an interview with her, and his mom, Sarah, we'll say it now, Dante's mom's name is Sarah, finally gives in, sits down on her front porch, and has complete word vomit about Kelsey's case. The interview was uploaded to YouTube under the name Adam Uhernick, and I'll link the two parts in Kelsey's highlight at the top of my Instagram at the Heather Ashley. I'm going to give you the highlights, but to get the full effect of this interview, you definitely need to see it yourself. In this interview, Sarah is super erratic and flat out admits that she failed the lie detector test given to her by police. Specifically, she says she failed when asked if she knew where Kelsey was. She also tells the interviewer that she has never, in the last four years, asked Dante if he hurt Kelsey. The fuck? She starts talking about Kelsey as if she might have known her better than Kelsey's mother did, even though she says she only met Kelsey in person once. She tries to prove this seemingly odd fact, by saying that Kelsey had a key necklace that had Dante's name written in it, and she seems to say it as if Kelsey's own mom wouldn't have known that. Sarah says that Kelsey told Dante that she was losing a lot of blood in the toilet and that Dante told her, let me take you to the doctor. Hold up. So you're saying that either from Denver, Dante offered to take Kelsey to the doctor even though he didn't have a car, or you're saying that after coming to Pueblo, she went somewhere not with Dante, the only person she knew in Pueblo, and told him that she was losing a lot of blood in some toilet, and he again offered to take her to the doctor in the car that he doesn't have. Both of those scenarios have several problems, which makes this interview fantastic. Sarah said a few more strange things regarding dates and times and then kept going off about how her dad had been in law enforcement for 30 years as if that somehow gave her some kind of moral credibility. The interview ended and while it didn't seem to lead to anything, the internet is forever and if Dante is ever charged and this case goes to trial, it's going to be one of the biggest rabbit holes to go down. Four more months go by, but on November 7th of 2017, police are back in southwest Pueblo searching for evidence in hopes to charge someone in Kelsey's case. I think we can all guess who that someone is. They're pretty tight-lipped about where they're searching, but later that day, police are spotted again by the field behind Dante's grandmother's old neighborhood. 
The next day, there's no question where police are looking. Through the fallen snow, they're going hard on that field again with heavy equipment. Shit is getting real at this point, and two days later, KOAA reports that authorities are executing four different searches all at the same time in different areas. You see this kind of blitz attack when police feel like they're getting close and they don't want anyone being tipped off about what they're on to. The following day, the Help Find Kelsey Facebook page posts a not-so-cryptic message. To the guilty, you know who you are. We are not going away, and we never will. On November 13th, 2017, Dante Lucas was arrested. And his sister, and his brother, and his mother. Damn near the entire Lucas family was behind bars at this point, but again, it wasn't in relation to Kelsey's case. They were arrested for a robbery that had happened back in September, apparently a robbery they turned into a family affair, but give it a couple weeks. On December 1st of 2017, while in custody for that robbery charge, Dante Lucas is finally and officially charged with the first-degree murder of our girl, Kelsey Schelling. He is held without bond. It finally happened. It finally fucking happened, you guys. Dante had two scheduled court appearances in December, but both were waived. However, while he was sitting his happy ass in jail, and finally for murder this time, volunteers, you know, Kelsey's advocates, kept on searching. KDRO reports that their search areas had been based off of cell phone pings, and in mid-December, while searching in Beulah, which is less than two miles from those excavation sites, they found a cell phone. It was turned over to police, and I guess we'll find out more when it's time for trial. Dante's preliminary hearing isn't held until May of 2018, and phones weren't allowed in the courtroom, so Liz Gillardi from Denver 7 keeps everyone updated during the breaks. She reported that according to an agent, at no time after Kelsey got to Pueblo did her and Dante's cell phones not overlap on the same tower. At one point, both phones went four hours, the same four hours, without any activity. No calls, no texts, nothing. Both Dante and Kelsey's phones went silent during the same four hours after she was last seen. You know, when she was last seen with him. Now, this doesn't 100% conclude that they were next to each other the entire time. Technology isn't that advanced, but it's still pretty specific and pretty damn coincidental considering that she was missing, but he claims he hadn't seen her. Liz also reports that Dante's grandmother told the police that she saw him in her garage at 4 a.m. on the morning of the 5th. You know, roughly four hours after Kelsey drove from the Walmart to the street by his grandmother's house and texted him asking where he was. They continue on with the preliminary hearing and the Pueblo chieftain reports that apparently Dante forgot the original story he told to police because when he was questioned about her disappearance after he got that robbery charge, his entire story changed. 
This time, he said that he and Kelsey met up a quarter mile away from his grandmother's house and then went to some parties. This time, he says that he drank and did some cocaine and that Kelsey took Percocet. He says he originally lied about taking her to the hospital. This story doesn't make any more sense than the last one. It still doesn't explain where she is now, why he pulled out $400 from her bank account, and why he ditched her car in two separate places where she was never seen. The prelim wraps up and it's up to the judge to decide if there's enough evidence for his first-degree murder charge to stick, and frankly, it seems like it was a no-brainer. Because they stuck. In August of 2018, Dante was officially arraigned on his first-degree murder charge and entered a plea of not guilty. And I wish I was kidding when I told you that this motherfucker said that, oh no, it wasn't him that killed Kelsey, it was her father. Dante literally put the death of Kelsey on her father, knowing that we all know now that when Kelsey got to Pueblo, she never left, and that at no point in time between when she got there and when her phone turned off, did his or her phones not overlap on the same cell towers. The trial was set to begin on April 2nd of 2019, but the defense asked for a change of venue because of all the publicity surrounding her case. They were worried that there was no way he could get an unbiased jury. That was denied. Dante's defense wound up filing 35 different motions prior to his trial, which means that all of them had to be addressed individually and pushed back the trial over and over and over again. At one of these motions hearings in April of 2019, Fox 21 reports that a CBI investigator testified that those excavations in his grandmother's old backyard happened because the person who currently lived there called the police after Dante showed up on April 7th of 2017 asking if he could look at the backyard. Oh yeah, don't be suspicious, Dante. Who goes to their grandmother's old house, knocks on the door, and asks to look at the backyard? The defense didn't want this allowed as evidence in the trial, claiming that the people who lived in the house now knew about Dante and the case, and suggested that the lineup given to the witnesses at the home who identified Dante might have been suggestive, which is a bold assumption, and it was enough to get an excavation warrant, so good luck with that. The trial was set again for July of 2019, but that didn't happen either. KOAA reports that it was moved because of new science the defense would like to use at trial, this new science might have something to do with what KOAA says was found in Kelsey's car, a single strand of hair that, when tested, turned out to be Dante's mother's hair. You know, the one who said she'd only met Kelsey once in person? In November of 2019, one of Dante's two attorneys asked to be removed from the case. When this happens, a new attorney has to come in and relearn the entire case, which usually sets the trial back again, and that's exactly what happened. Dante gets a now team of three attorneys, and his trial is rescheduled to May of 2020. 
May comes and the trial is pushed back again because of COVID and set to September. And when September came, it was pushed back indefinitely until they could figure out how to navigate the legal system amidst COVID. The whole indefinitely thing was a massive blow. I've seen trials set back before, but never indefinitely. 35 motions, new science, new attorneys, COVID. I mean, Kelsey's family just cannot catch a break when it comes to actually reaching the point where they get justice for her. But finally, indefinitely comes to an end, and a date for Dante's trial is set. It's set for January 25th of 2021. Yes, literally a little over a month ago. The defense tried to delay it one more time, but finally the judge said no. And as scheduled, on January 25th, the jury selection process began. And on February 3rd of last month, the day before the eight-year anniversary of Kelsey's disappearance and more than three years since he was charged, Dante's trial began. Everything comes out a little out of order in the trial, so I'm going to do my best to piece it together in the easiest and most detailed way possible. Before I start, though, I want to note that this case has been incredibly hard to report on due to COVID restrictions. But reporters are taking notes and updating during breaks, and a lot of it is done through live tweeting. These reporters have done a phenomenal job, and everything you hear below has come from them. I want to go ahead and name their Twitter account so you can check them out for yourself. The Pueblo Chieftain, which I'll link their site in Kelsey's highlight, on Twitter, at Colette Bordelon of KOAA, at BD on TV of KDRO, B Thompson News of Fox 21, Kasha Carriage TV of KKTV, and Carol A. McKinley of ABC News. I'll be linking all of their accounts in Kelsey's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, so they're easy to find and follow. Okay, let's get started on this trial and start with the timeline we know. Kelsey clocked out of work in Denver at 8.41 p.m. on February 4, 2013, and texted Dante at 8.50 p.m. saying that she was on her way. Roughly 30 minutes later, she texted Dante, letting him know where she was along her drive, and at 9.56 p.m. texted him that she was getting close and asked him where he wanted her to go. Two minutes later, her phone pinged in the Pueblo area. At 10.20 p.m. on the 4th, she texted Dante that she was at the Walmart and Dante told her that he'd be there soon. At 11.01 p.m., still not at the Walmart with Kelsey, Dante called his mom. The ping from his phone puts him in the area of his grandmother's house in the Walmart. Dante lived with his grandmother at the time. 13 minutes after calling his mom, Dante texts Kelsey and tells her to meet him where she normally does, which is the street by his grandmother's house. Four minutes later, she tells him that she's there. She waits another six minutes, it's now 11.24 p.m., and asks him where he is and that she'd been waiting for him for over an hour. Five minutes after Kelsey texts Dante asking him where he is, Dante and his mom start a text conversation. And listen to this shit. He tells his mom, I want to make sure she didn't leave anything in the house, then you can take her back home. What are you talking about? Leave anything in the house? She's been waiting at Walmart and in the car on the street for you for over an hour. And take her back? Kelsey drove her own car. 
Why would his mother need to take her back? Take her back where? Denver? His mom texted him back asking what happened and if he was okay. Dante told her, yeah, he was great now. And his mom says, she's not pregnant. Dante then proceeds to tell his mother that Kelsey had had a miscarriage the previous day. Again, what are you talking about? She literally sent you both a text message like 12 hours ago of an ultrasound photo of the baby. She didn't miscarry before that ultrasound photo was taken, and Dante sure as shit hadn't even met up with Kelsey at this point. Dante's mom seemed shocked, and Dante said, all wise, 100% positive, and then told his mom that he was ready for the smoke and pancake she offered him as soon as he got her out of there. Again, out of where she was still waiting in the car for him on the street near his grandmother's house. At 12.13 a.m. on what's now February 5th, Dante makes a call from his phone to some financial services place. The ping puts him in the area of his grandmother's house. At 2.42 a.m., Kelsey's phone calls a number that's not saved in hers. This number belonged to a girl that Dante was interested in, a girl that Kelsey had never met and never spoken to. The phone is pinging from the side of the tower that covers Dante's grandmother's house. A little over an hour later, at 3.53 a.m., Dante's phone calls Kelsey's phone twice. The pings are coming from a new cell phone tower near Highway 78. By 4 a.m., his grandmother wakes up to use the bathroom and sees him walking into the garage. Fast forward about seven and a half hours to 11.39 a.m. That's when Dante shows up on CCTV footage at the bank in Pueblo where he's driving Kelsey's car and he's alone. Kelsey is nowhere to be seen. He told detectives that he was pulling out the $400 to pay his phone bill. 17 minutes later, Kelsey's phone texts Dante's saying that after he gets that money to pick her up and stay out of her life. But three minutes after that at 11.59 a.m., Kelsey's phone says that he can bring her car to Denver that night and that she has to go to the doctor because she doesn't feel right. Hold on. Was he picking her up from somewhere or was she somehow magically back in Denver already but without her car because, you know, Dante was driving it? Kelsey most definitely was not in Denver because when her phone sent that text, it pinged off of the same tower that Dante's did. Either way, Dante didn't give a single fuck because after he left the bank, he drove Kelsey's car to the Walmart alone got out, walked around back, and his mother picked him up. No one else ever got out of that vehicle, only Dante. The next day, February 6th at 7 a.m., Kelsey's car is driven away by a very tall person who was in possession of Kelsey's key fob. The lights on the car blinked before the person opened the door, got in, and drove away. On February 7th, Kelsey's car is dropped off in the St. Mary Corwin Hospital parking lot, and it looked like it had been cleaned. Now that you've got the timeline down, and I know that was a lot to take in and very number heavy, let's talk about all the different stories that Dante has told people in the last eight years. On February 9th, five days after she was last seen, Dante told Kelsey's mom that Kelsey had come down on the 5th, but we know she was there the night of the 4th. 
He told her that he and Kelsey had gotten into an argument and that she had left town, but does say that he got a phone call from her saying that she was moving to California. According to the live tweeting by those amazing reporters listed above, Dante's phone records determined that call was a lie. Next up, let's talk about the phone conversation that Dante had with a detective from Denver on February 10th. He told the Denver detective that Kelsey had come down around 2 or 3 a.m. on the 5th. Again, we know she got there on the night of the 4th. He continues talking to the Denver detective and says that he met with Kelsey at the Walmart parking lot and that they argued about their relationship and he told Kelsey that he didn't want to be with her. But Dante was never at the Walmart with her that night. Remember, she waited there until he told her to meet him closer to his grandmother's house, where she waited for him some more. He claims that after that argument, they went to their normal meeting spot near his grandmother's house, and then she left. However, he claims that at 5 a.m., Kelsey texted him that she was still here and to come over, whatever that means, because Dante was the only person Kelsey knew in Pueblo as far as we know. Dante says that later that morning, the morning of the 5th, he and Kelsey went to the hospital, but oh no, not St. Mary Corwin Hospital. He says they went to Parkview Hospital. Parkview has no record of her ever being there, and neither of their cell phones ever pinged in that area. The detective asks him what time they went there, and it's reported that Dante hesitated for a second and then guesses that maybe it was around 8.30 a.m. He tells the detective that Kelsey went in alone and came back out a little while later, telling him that she wasn't pregnant and never was, which we know is bullshit because she had an OB appointment the morning of the 5th, which included a full sonogram. Her OB actually testified to the validity of her pregnancy and that it was perfectly healthy and that she didn't seem to be at any risk of having a miscarriage. Now, you might assume that after hearing someone tell you that they were never pregnant after sending you a photo of a sonogram, you'd be pissed. But no, Dante says that they went back to Walmart and that Kelsey went in and got some snacks. He says that when she got back into the car, they argued some more and she eventually kicked him out, which is when he says he walked around back and his mom picked him up. At the end of their conversation, he tells the Denver detective that he did get a call from Kelsey on the 9th, but that it was from a private number. He said that she was yelling at him, telling him to stop leaving her voicemails, and claims that he tried to yell over her, telling her to call her family because they were worried about her. Why would Kelsey call from another number if he was leaving voicemails on the number he clearly already had and wasn't blocked from? The only person who would know he was leaving her voicemails would have been him and Kelsey. And Kelsey had been missing for more than five days at this point, and her phone had been off for three. The detective noted that Dante didn't seem emotional or upset. The third story Dante told was told to Kelsey's brother who went to his house on February 11th. Dante told Kelsey's brother that she'd gotten there around 3 a.m. on the 5th. I'm gonna say it again, we know she got there the night of the 4th. Anyway, he tells her brother that they went to Parkview on the 5th and found out that she'd had a miscarriage. Hold up. He just told the detective the day before that she found out she was never pregnant when they went to Parkview, who again has no record of her ever being there. 
Dante told his own mother in text the night of the 4th that Kelsey had miscarried on the 3rd, and he's now telling Kelsey's brother that they found out she miscarried on the 5th. The next story Dante told was to a Pueblo police officer who was doing a welfare check looking for Kelsey. This officer went to Dante's grandmother's house, but he wasn't there, so she went to his mother's house where she found him babysitting his younger siblings. Dante tells the Pueblo police officer that Kelsey came down around 3 or 4 a.m. on the 5th. Again, not true. He says that they argued and he went inside his grandmother's house and went to sleep and that Kelsey slept outside in her car. Dante told Kelsey's mother that she left town after they argued. He told the Denver officer that she left after they went to their meeting spot after arguing at the Walmart he was never at that night. And now he's telling this Pueblo officer that Kelsey slept outside of his grandmother's house in her car. Moving on. He says that for whatever reason, at 7 a.m. on the 5th, he went out to Kelsey's car to confront her about the pregnancy. The officer noted that the way he was talking made it seem like he didn't believe Kelsey was pregnant. He tells the officer that he wanted to take her to the doctor, so they went to Parkview and they both went inside. Uh, he told the Denver detective that he waited outside of Parkview for Kelsey. He continues telling the Pueblo officer that they waited together in the waiting room and that Kelsey went back alone and then came back 40 minutes later saying that she wasn't pregnant. So we're back to flip-flopping between she miscarried, she was never pregnant, she miscarried, and she was never pregnant again. Bottom line, we know for a fact that Kelsey was pregnant. He tells the officer the same thing about the trip to Walmart for some snacks and Kelsey kicking him out of the car and his mom picking him up out back, and then mentions that mysterious call from Kelsey from a private number, except this time he says it happened on the 10th until he corrects himself and says that he got the call from her on the 9th. The officer asked to see his call log, but Dante said that he clears his calls and texts at the end of the day every day. This officer, too, noted that Dante didn't seem concerned and told her that Kelsey probably went to work in Denver. Didn't he tell Kelsey's mom that she called and told him that she was moving to California? Dante's next story is told to the lead detective on Kelsey's case on February 12th. He tells the detective again that she came down in the early morning hours of February 5th. Again, bullshit. He says they went to Parkview to confirm her pregnancy. You know, her pregnancy that was already confirmed. He says that he waited in the car while she went inside. Literally the day before, he had told a Pueblo officer that he'd gone inside and waited in the waiting room with her. The defense had tried to argue that there'd be no record of Kelsey ever being at Parkview if she just went in the waiting room and had never actually been seen by a doctor. And that defense might have worked if he had stuck to the story that he waited outside for her. But now he puts himself in that hospital with her and her going off to get an exam without him. There would be record of that, but there is none. Dante says the same thing about going to Walmart for snacks and getting kicked out of the car and adds that him and Kelsey weren't in a relationship, but that she wasn't just a hookup either. The detective asked where Kelsey could be in Pueblo, and Dante said that he was the only person she knew there.
Now that we've gone over Dante's ever-changing stories, let's go over the witnesses. Only a handful of witnesses have been called to the stand at this point, but the ones that have are pretty compelling. Kelsey's friends testified to Dante not wanting the baby and seeing texts from him confirming that, saying that if she had the baby, it would ruin his life. One friend said that when Dante was living with Kelsey for a short time, Kelsey called her to go out to dinner because she needed to get away from him and that Kelsey had bruises on her that were from Dante. That particular friend said that a couple of weeks after Kelsey went missing, she got a text from Dante saying that Kelsey had been popping pills and that she could be where she was getting the pills from. And this friend says that Dante asked her if she would go with him to help him find her the guy who never participated in any searches for her. The friend said that it was odd and honestly scared her. Another one of Kelsey's friends said that in January of 2013, a month before she went missing, Dante sent texts to Kelsey saying, bitch, I'll fuck you up, calling her a slut, a hoe, and telling her that she was whack and stupid. This friend also testified saying that Kelsey said Dante didn't want the baby. Another person is called to the witness stand, and this time it's the girl that Dante was interested in, the girl who Kelsey's phone called at 2.42 a.m. on February 5th. She said she didn't recognize the number and didn't answer. On the morning of the 10th, Dante texted this girl, telling her that he wanted to have her for dessert. And when she asked if he was talking about sex, he said, that works. She told him that he'd actually need to go on dates with her before anything sexual ever happened. She had no idea that Dante had a girlfriend, a pregnant girlfriend, or a missing pregnant girlfriend. She didn't find out about Kelsey until she saw her missing persons poster up around town. The only mutual friend this woman had with Kelsey was Dante. When she found out about Kelsey, she cut off contact with him but I can't say the same for the next witness. The next witness is Jess. This girl called in a tip in 2016 saying that a psychic told her that Kelsey's body was at some rest stop north of Pueblo. She checked it out, but it wound up just being animal bones. Later that year, she decided to friend request Dante on Facebook because she said she wanted to get information about Kelsey's case. She let the police know what she was doing and they basically told her to stay as far away from Dante as possible and that they didn't need her doing any work on their behalf. But Dante actually wound up messaging her and the two eventually talked on the phone and he didn't initially bring up Kelsey. But after two months of talking, he finally mentions her and just says that Kelsey was his friend and that she gave him money. Jess relayed all of this information to police, and they again told her not to get involved with him. And instead of listening to them, she fell in love with him. Jess literally still considers Dante her boyfriend to this day. The prosecution brought up a few statements she'd made to authorities about Dante, like one time when she says a guy named Dominic came into his house and called him a murderer in front of her, to which Dante replied, you're four years too late. Another time, she actually told police that she was afraid of Dante and that she didn't want him to hurt her ex or her mom. That statement was transcribed from a recorded interview, but Jess said that she didn't remember saying it and that she'd never felt threatened by Dante. 
After that interview with police, her parents bought her a one-way ticket back to Arizona to live with family, and she did wind up moving. But she did not cut ties with Dante. And Dante actually bought a one-way ticket to Arizona in November of 2017 when the investigation into him was ramping up. A detective testified that the purchase of Dante's one-way ticket to Arizona coincided with the police wiretapping Dante and his family's phones, following them and constantly contacting them for interviews, trying to get them talking. Another person to testify was a guy who was in jail with Dante after he was charged. This guy says that right before they were going to play a card game, Dante told him that he'd never be convicted of Kelsey's murder because they'd never find her body, and that his mom had helped him hide it. This inmate reported Dante's statement to the captain on duty. The defense tried to discredit him by saying that he was an addict and a criminal, but his own captain testified to his credibility saying that he often reported infractions within the jail and that they'd all panned out and at least four of them had led to charges. Then the defense tries to seemingly try and discredit the captain by saying that she often writes positive letters to judges on behalf of inmates who display good behavior. Good one. The defense tried arguing that there's no footage of this conversation on security cameras, but those at the jail note that the cameras frequently have issues and every square inch of the jail isn't covered by them. The defense had actually tried to argue the testimony of the Pueblo officer who did that welfare check looking for Kelsey, saying that there was no footage of that interaction. Apparently, not filming or recording every square inch of everyday life is a major part of Dante's defense. Dante's mom was called to the stand just last week and insinuated that Kelsey was with Dante at his grandmother's house on the morning of the 5th, but that she was in the bedroom and she had never seen her. But what she did see was Kelsey's car parked out front. Okay, so a witness, Dante's mom, of all people, now confirms that Kelsey's car was parked in front of his grandmother's house on the morning of February 5th. She testified that Dante was acting normal that morning, but the prosecution played a recording. And in that recording, Dante's mother says that he was acting weird. The defense's argument in this case over and over and over again is that there is no body, no crime scene, and no weapon. They say that this is the biggest stretch in Pueblo history. But we'll have to find out for ourselves because this trial is still going on and resumes again today. For daily updates on the trial and ultimately the verdict when it comes, check out Kelsey's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about everything that has come out so far in this trial. For live updates from the reporters at the courthouse, check out the Pueblo Chieftain or follow the following on Twitter at Colette Bordelon of KOAA, at BD on TV of KDRO, at B Thompson News of Fox 21, at Kasha Carriage TV of KKTV, and Carol A. McKinley of ABC News. I will be linking them in Kelsey's highlights so they're easier to find and follow. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. 
If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today, by the way. All your episodes are also ad-free, and you'll receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.